Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Podcast about faith in Jesus and stuff. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm already drinking. I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, how are we doing? Doing good. Uh, it is World Cup time. This is the best time of the year, in my opinion, except it's supposed to be held in the summer. So I'm like freezing uh, every morning in a metal warehouse watching uh, soccer. Uh, so, but it's great. I'm having a good time. So I'm, I'm just happy. Cristiano Ronaldo got kicked off of Manchester United today and that just makes me so happy. He wasn't like kicked off, kicked off. Like it was a mutual agreement, but if he didn't say like, yeah, I'll leave, um, then they were going to sue him. So, which actually I was kind of rooting for that one, but it is very odd to see the world (laughs) cup in December, November, December, and also see Don Draper age so much and acting like he's santa claus on commercials i'm very confused oh oh is that who that was oh my goodness yeah it's don draper so apparently he's uh getting he's gotten back into the ad business so uh mad men part do <laughs> and we're tonight we're joined by uh, a special guest oh thank you espn we're joined by a special guest it's a return appearance andy how are you I'm feeling pretty fine. Today is a 21st Amendment day for you of sorts. It is indeed. Prohibition has ended. It has ended. Free at last, free at last. Yes, this has been a, a process starting back, I would say, August 4th of this year. My friend and I decided to make uh, a resolution of sorts for health really nothing more than that. We decided not to drink until we were reunited in February in Mexico. And we both have questioned our decision the entire time we've done it. <laughs> but I mean, we've, each of us had lost about 10 pounds in the process, making really no other changes other than that. So <laughs> it's been quite a process, but we decided to call that off, um, which is nice. We'll be able to usher in the holidays Merrily. Merrily. (laughs) So, Colton, what are we drinking tonight? Yeah, so tonight we got a couple of things on tap, so to speak. Right now, currently, we're all enjoying a Russian River Brewing Company, which we've had them on here before. Um, But they're doing like a single hop series of of some IPAs and we are drinking what is currently the Mosaic Stack. We've got another one uh, from that series in there. Um, I believe that that hop that they're using is Citra on that one. It's called uh, Flash Mob. Then we've got some Smog City, which is a part of their Storm series, their IPA Storm series, and that one's the Electric Storm. And then uh, we also have some Belching Beaver. We're going like all over the place. Uh, And the... Belching Beaver one 
can't remember the name, honestly. It's a funky name. It's and a funky like, can, too. It's, it's like called like Damnation or something like that, which is pretty good for Belching Beaver. D-A-M-N-A-T-I-O-N. At the liquor store that I procured this beer today, they had a beer from a brewery I'd never seen before. It was called Stepdad Stepdad, and I thought, that's interesting. But it had it was just silver can said stepdad stepdad didn't say what kind of beer it was, the alcohol content, and I thought no, I'm just not gonna not gonna. I feel like that's a great gamble. <laughs> <laughs> it was fresh according to the the top of the can. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that it has on it is mm-hmm. a date. <laughs> I'm like just made yesterday. Oh, <laughs> canned yesterday. Yeah, it was canned in the back of the liquor store that I was buying that in Clovis. <laughs> <laughs> out of, right out of the bathtub. <laughs> With Andy's turtle. <laughs> Tonight will be, we might get to it later, but the first, we want to do a hot topic, which might take over a, quite a bit of the, the podcast. Okay, if you've just joined us, we're talking about who is the best lord. Lord of the Rings, of the dance, or of the flies. That's tonight's. Hot topic. Hot topic. So it's from a couple weeks ago. I'm going to read the story, and then we're going to talk about it. It does involve teachers, and I got two teachers sitting here with me, so they'll probably be a good perspective on the story. So Dateline, Granada Hills, California, November 3rd. Classmates at Granada Hills Charter High School on Monday watched in horror as a female student with special needs was brutally beaten during class by another student, a male, senior male at the high school. Victims' adult aide and classroom teacher allegedly did nothing to stop the incident or intervene quickly. They were in the room. As the teenage girl left the room with broken teeth, witnesses said she left behind pools of blood. Uh, so it goes on more details. So on Twitter, there began an endless parade of teachers saying, basically defending the teacher and the student aide saying we're not allowed to touch students and then finally about 20 comments in another teacher said i've been teaching for 20 years i have those same rules and they don't apply to me i've I've broken up multiple fights and then another fight broke out in on the twitter comments where further teachers were jumping in saying you're breaking the rules that's not what the rule are that's not what the rules are blah 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 so why do i bring this up i think it's a good topic to illustrate how, one, as we've removed religion from our thinking, in our case, Christianity, it's transformed a lot of us into being rule followers. And probably a lot of us think that that's probably better because we're following the rule of law and all that kind of thing. But actually, it's not. And a lot of times, trying to follow the law gets complicated and sticky because often the law, usually the law is built on extreme black and whites and the world doesn't operate that way. So there's that part of it. But two, I think it's also instructional for Christians as well to take a step back and use this as an example where we also have to maybe re-examine how we get very fundamental in, well, the rules that Jesus says this or the Bible says this And we just focus in on that rather than trying to take a step back and figure out maybe what the rule is, is what would Jesus do in this situation where there aren't two perfect things to do? I don't have two, I don't have a good choice and I have a bad choice. I got two bad choices. So does anybody have any thoughts? 
So well, many, first of all, what so would you? What would you? Okay, what would you guys do as teachers? So many thoughts. Um, well, stipulating all, that it's your, it's not your situation. You're reading a story. Yeah. Maybe it's you know, but based on what you've heard, that this girl. I mean, look, it's bad enough. It makes it does truly make it worse that she's special needs. But remove that from the side. The fact that it's just a male student is beating up a female student, or if it was a male student beating up a male student. And teachers are sitting there doing nothing. 100% I know that I would take out my cell phone and instantly start recording and start chanting fight. <laughs> TikTok. As, TikTok. Which is exactly why we have the incident documented. Right? I will I will get views. Yes. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, speaking as from, uh, from the perspective of a teacher who has broken up fights, um, it really depends on the teacher. I don't think, I don't think they sit down a group of teachers and and because I know this it hasn't happened with me when they tell you exactly what you are to do in a situation where there is a fight. They don't say you have to intervene, you have to do this, you have to do that. Um, as a matter of fact, in our district, we have they they put you through a specific training on how to handle combative students and things of that nature. But I think the the bigger question is, you know, what do we know about the teacher? What do we know about the aide? Is it a a five foot four woman teacher and possibly a female aide who is being asked to apprehend or or stop, you know, an eighteen year old senior, uh, possibly football player build? They can hide behind the rules, but they could also just say, "I'm not trying to stop that young man because he could kill me." Um, Versus the fights that I've broken up, you know, I'm five foot nine, uh, hundred and ninety pounds, and they're middle school kids. So I mean, sometimes you get a bigger one, but I haven't. It's it's not really a a force disparity type of an issue, or I'm I'm worried I'm going to get hurt. It could happen, of course, but so it's just different circumstances. I think um, I think most people, most teachers, just have that compulsion to get involved and do something about it. But if you're talking about a big force disparity with a small teacher and a larger student that's doing it, um, you, could you really fault the, her for not getting involved if that was the case in that scenario? I don't know. Well, one more bit of background farther down in the story. Quote, this is from a student in the class who was in the classroom. I know some people are asking, why didn't two grown men do anything to help the student witness said, I understand that teachers can get in trouble for touching students, but when you're seeing something like that, like a girl beaten so brutally, someone has to step in. Now, that certainly tells us it's two males. It doesn't tell us anything other than that. And the student, to your point, might think it somebody should have stepped in, but circumstances were that it shouldn't happen. Well, you could also say, why didn't any other student jump in? Oh, it's a good point. I mean, was the student, you know, in, well, in retrospect, something should have been done. Or was it at the moment, yeah, someone really should do something, but it should be the teacher, not me. Yeah, so I work at the high school level. Um, I think there's a lot of factors that go into fights that are just, difficult in the United States of lawsuits things are 
can get problematic really quickly when it comes to how you respond um, and if you respond and that kind of stuff. So uh, the way that I've been told and what it is is get involved at your own risk. So as a teacher, you're getting involved. If uh, something happens to the student and it gets proven that you were the cause for that harm, they're coming after you. Now, you do have union lawyers and that kind of stuff, but also, you know, like those are the things that are true. Uh, that's just how it goes. That's how it goes for any fight on the street, just in case you didn't know. If you go in there and you try to break it up, and if you hurt someone in the process of trying to break up a fight, trying to do your your good citizenship duty and you're like that's but if somebody gets hurt because of your actions and therefore you are allowed to be sued and i mean that doesn't mean you win the lawsuit but that's just a reality of it so that's the whole thing is that as a teacher you get involved at your own risk is usually the warning that they give you there is no trainings on how to break up fights um the security on campus is not, they're not police officers. They have to be taught how to uh, detain students without causing harm to students. So there's a lot of tricks that they do to try and hold students in place without having, and a lot of campuses have police officers on their campus, but security is oftentimes able to get there faster than the one police officer that's on campus. So, and they're trained specifically on how to try and hold um, students and that kind of stuff. But even then, they are liable as well. The security is liable on campuses. Um, they're not protected in the same way that the police officer is protected um, from breaking up those types of things. And then you have the situation where, I mean, like there's other variables as well, such as, again, the student response. Um, Oftentimes, I've seen fights uh, start. I've luckily never had to actively get involved in breaking up a fight myself. I've just never been around when one happens, and I'm not on duty. Not that it's not my problem. Um, I'm just not actively looking. I'm not the person that they call to go break up a fight. They're like, hey, there's a fight in the bathroom. Um, like, they're not the I'm not the teacher that they're looking for. So, like, they're... They're out looking for somebody that has a radio or something like that, so that way they can go and ta tackle or whatever the situation. But you usually have to fight through an entire wave of students just to be able to get to the two students that are fighting and clawing at each other. Um, and yeah, they can get brutal and they can get really nasty. Um, I remember there was one that happened when I was in high school where a girl, we used to have concrete benches. They've been taken out. Shocker. Uh, a girl grabbed another girl by the hair and just smashed her face right into one of those concrete, like right at the corner, just cracked her skull like on the concrete bench. And yeah, she broke her nose. It was like blood everywhere. It was crazy. Um, and it's, it's nasty and it's brutal. And also there's something to be said about, yeah, fights also occur in classrooms. Uh, teachers don't know about all of the drama that's going on, but like, if they walk into their classroom, there's a lot of stuff that could be going on and something can happen. A teacher is writing something on the board and somebody pops off and an issue occurs. And it's, yeah, I, I'd say that my initial instinct is I would definitely do the best that I can to get in the way. I'm not going to go over there and attack the student, but I would definitely try to get in between the two and stop them. And that's just 
it's difficult. It's not an easy task. It's one of those things that's easier said than done. I would get in there and I would save the day. Sure. <laughs> you know, like, uh, what's funny is just, again, teachers are the people that are legitimately in those situations on a regular basis. A lot of people just talk about how they would break up fights, but they have never experienced seeing a fight. And even if they are teenagers, like if they're in high school, I mean, I'm 155 pounds. Like, I'm a very skinny, tall, white dude. I, I cannot take out some of these football players that are, <laughs> that might be senior, junior football players. Uh, like, there's no way. Um, I, I, I have no martial arts experience. I've got nothing. Like, I've got no tools in my trade. Um, so, and I'm not afraid to take a beating. I'm just, uh, it, it's not going to go well for me. Uh, so, again, you get involved at your own risk as a teacher. Absolutely. And I mean, like, that's just, that's just in the area of the fight, um, which was the initial question. And I think that there's a bigger issue that you're getting at there, Tim. But for the time being, that's what we got. No, and I, look, Annie made a really good, both of you made good points that there's context left out of the article, which I think is instructive for anybody listening to this podcast about how much we take articles at face value and then get outraged by them. Not, with, not even, not just articles, videos. Well, even videos. are people make a snap judgment from a clip. And this person did this wrong or this wrong when you have no context or anything like that because hey, we're a you know long distance uh, commentator and, and pundit on what someone should have should or shouldn't have done. Yeah, and so putting that context up is good, and then Colton, what you said is also I think helpful. And I don't want this to be like a podcast where I'm where I or people listening to this just jump on the the bandwagon and, and rip the teachers. It's not so much ripping the teachers. It's just when you read my my bigger reaction I still stand by was the reaction to the story, which if you had thoughtful people, I would I if you post on Twitter and you're offended by what I'm gonna say, I don't really care. But thoughtful people like Andy would have probably said, well, there's too many, you know, we don't know what we don't know, so I'm not going to say one way or another. The comments descended into unthoughtful comments, which was you could, you, on the one side, it was black and white, somebody should have done something, and the other side was nobody should have done anything because the union and the school district don't allow it. And I know, Colton, that wasn't your point either, but it's kind of illustrative that you started out in your comments rattling off all of the things of all of the reasons not to get in the way it, to intervene, and none of them have to do with right or wrong. They are, they are the bureaucracy, the union, frankly, how I think warped the... Justice system has gotten where we don't allow people to defend themselves, which I think is a good way where we could take this uh, podcast, even though it's this episode, even though it's not really a religious thing, but I, I don't think it's uh, uh, not a helpful thing as well, is all of those calculus, you listed off 20 different things that, frankly, any modern person has to think about. And you talked about getting sued. It's not just getting sued. You can defend yourself and find yourself on the wrong end of a jury. 
and the district attorney charging you with anywhere between murder to uh, manslaughter or aggravated assault, even though you're just trying to defend someone. And you're like, how did this happen? And there's even witnesses there. But no, you intervene and didn't let the quote unquote professionals step step in and handle it. And I just find that really troubling that we just kind of walk around like sheep saying, and I, look, I'm not saying that, you know, if I, if I did see a fight, I'd be the first one to jump in. I'd, <laughs> I know you were joking. I wouldn't pull my camera out, but I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. You'd start chanting fight. I'd be, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, you, the point that I was thinking, Tim, as you were laying out, you know, the rule following and all that kind of thing is, haven't we just had an exceptional example of when we are being asked to be rule followers and how we treat those that, that hold their heads up and say, no, I don't want to follow that rule. And we got to see what, what happened to people that didn't go along with everybody else. Very recent example. Sure, we can go into that. We generally stay out of the politics, but I'm, I'm, well, look, I'm, I'm free to discuss that. that it's an absolute... I've got an example ready. The, the issue that I'm thinking about is, you know, when we have very successfully removed Jesus from the school system and all that. So what do we do with our kids who have zero fear of any earthly punishment or earthly responsibility? Because that's what we've created. They can handle any type of punishment, which is very uh oh that's delightful sorry <laughs> we opened up the flash mob we, we had to take a time out here for this one mm -hmm. no but but i mean the our our the penalties and the things that we're able to do in the school system um basically have no teeth anymore and we we've created a situation where as long as the kid can handle all the different "Quote unquote punishments that are doled out now, they can keep behaving the way they want to behave, um, because we've successfully said, hey, we don't, no, nobody has to worry about you know any kind of of heavenly consequence to what you're doing and all that. It's basically no, only the rules and only the things that we can dole out on earth is what matters. And the kid says, oh, I can handle all that. So what if I don't? I mean, think of what happens for for eighth graders. Have you ever heard of an eighth grader that was made to repeat at that of middle school if they flunked out if they did if they got in trouble if they got suspended. no because the school loses money absolutely they still go on to high school so what's what's the penalty in their eyes if you know if you have a kid that's sharp enough to figure that out i'm still going to graduate i'm still going to go off to high school um, what do you do there's no if there's no ultimate authority or anything that that they feel that they need to be held accountable to. You know, what's to stop the most reckless and worst behavior? That and, and you know teachers are seeing that nowadays um, in the classroom, on campuses, frequent fights, and and then it goes into a whole other thing of how social media increases these these beefs that the kids have with each other over the summer. Like, they don't go away. They fester because they're still commenting back and forth over the entire summer when kids used to forget about the problems that they had with other kids at school. Well, and I think, you know, 
I think what's also important is you should ask a large majority of, and I think, Tim, this would be a great opportunity for you, although you're a little bit more well-informed than I'd say that most um, parents are. But I think it's a good question to ask people is what do you think or how do you think a student gets suspended or gets expelled these days? Do they get suspended? Do they get expelled? I think people thought that that was a legitimate punishment, and they think that that still happens on a regular basis. And it happens, but it is a lot rarer than it used to be. Absolutely. Well, I w- I'll, I'll speak to that personal personal experience. My youngest almost did get expelled, and I would say I would argue that it was a relatively minor, in the grand scheme of things, not only today but 20, 30 years ago, it was just common horseplay between boys. But the way he did it, it literally went up to the school board and he was up for exp- expulsion and he was on whatever, um, he was on probation until he was no longer a minor. But I've heard, because so many of you, are, of, of you that are friends of mine here in town are teachers, admins, you know, principals, I hear all these stories about kids doing just outright criminal things, and they're still in school. Still in school? You could send them to the office, and they could come right back to your classroom that same day. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a kid a couple years ago, and he, he he was so much trouble that basically none of the teachers wanted him. They all were telling the principal, don't put that kid in my class. But the principal's hands were tied because he couldn't kick the kid out of school. The district or the state, whatever whatever government entity, wouldn't allow him to do it. So he had to go somewhere. And that kid even, I wouldn't say attacked, he basically threw a chair at the principal out of anger. But he was a kid who was really troubled. Um, but no consequences. And we, you know... We fool ourselves into thinking we're helping these kids out by just keeping them in school because school's the thing that's going to really ensure that they are successful in life. And I would say a lot of people actually believe this, that it's through education that they become moral, good, upstanding citizens. That That's one of the great mis... That's one of the great misunderstandings of our time. A lot of people, particularly if the more, uh, I'll do it, sorry to the two of you, well, Andy in particular, since you do have higher education, and my wife, but the more degrees you have, this stupid idea seems to infect you that somehow the highly educated are less, are more moral. That's just a dumb idea, and the proof of that is uh, Germany. Germany from about from the late 1800s through uh, through Nazi Germany was arguably the most uh, educated society we'd ever seen. And proof of that is all the the scientists they were churning out not only in Germany, but then after the war, half of them go to the United States, half of them basically go to to Russia, and you know, lead us to going onto the moon and splitting atoms and all kinds of stuff. It did nothing for giving them a, a proper moral compass. In fact, if anything, it probably led them the other way around, that they didn't need God and the rules of the of 
society didn't apply to them. So this idea that we're keeping kids in school because it's through school that they're somehow going to get saved because they're going to get educated and get a good job and that's going to make them good, good rule-following people is just nonsense. Well, And what we need to do is punish them fully. But as Colton and I talk all the time on this podcast, once that punishment is put in, then put in the tools around them to try to bring about redemption so that they don't spend their life feeling like they've been, like their life is over. Well, and I think that that's one of the conversations that a lot of people would say is advocating for school is that you have a lot of people that don't graduate high school and then, uh, you know, they have their hindsight 2020 moment where they sit there and they say, man, it, my life would have been a lot easier if I would have completed high school and if I would have, you know, done this or that, um, then I could have done this and then I could have done that. Um, and so, I mean, like, that's just one of those things that, Again, education believes in feeding its own beast, um, which is always frustrating, especially when the beasts kind of contradict, right? Andy and I are both um, in the classroom and when it comes to especially like student discipline and when we have this conversation when I asked about suspensions and expulsions to you is that, yeah, uh, the, <laughs> the schools get money um, based off of high schools. Um, I don't necessarily know how it works at the junior high system but i know that in high schools and i'm sure it has to do something along those lines is retention rates um and graduation rates so as long as you are able to make sure that you are not suspending and expelling students you're not giving up on those students so to speak um especially at the school level as opposed to the district level and especially at the district level they're like 100 that's why there's so many expulsion expulsion schools charter schools all these different opportunities for students to never leave the district is because that means that that is money leaving the district um and so at the school same principle applies is that uh, if we expel you if we suspend you we're losing money and you get a ding because you suspended or you expelled students which means that you're not able to control your students which therefore means that this is not a safe school, blah, blah, blah. So you don't get as much money when it comes to that, which you would think it would be the other way around, right? You were, you were sitting there and you're observing that there's a lot of expulsions and, uh, and suspensions, and you would be like, we should invest in this school and try to turn it around. But that doesn't happen, right? That's why a lot of the schools in Los Angeles that are notoriously, or in Chicago that are notoriously known for having teachers that are just reading newspapers and not giving two shits about what's going on with the students around them is because, uh, well, they're underpaid and there's no funding that's coming in to try and change uh, that problem. And we could even say that there's a systemic problem that's going on around and we would have to correct that with a lot of more focus than just at the school level. You can make those arguments 100%. And then meanwhile, in the classroom, there's the teacher who is supposed to be meeting standards. They're supposed to be making sure that their classroom is well governed and that everything is going on the way that it should be to make sure that all students meet a certain academic standing. Um, but those goals don't always intersect, especially if you have uh, problematic students in your classroom. Those goals don't always align. So, But it's not technically, just so we're clear for anybody that's, that may get upset about this, 
And, and teachers do it, and that's what admin looks for when they hire teachers. Is technically classroom management is not a part of like the job description. If you had like a extremely unruly child um, that was causing fights, um, you know, they they had outbursts and things like that. It is the teacher would need support from admin, and you would hope that that student would be able to come back. But there are times where if there's not any serious consequences, how does the student learn from that situation? Because they can continue to repeat the behavior with no consequences. Um, and the teacher, what are the consequences that we can bestow? We can fail you from the class, but we can't do that except for on academic merit. So I can't just fail a student just because I don't like them or because they're unruly in my class. That doesn't make any sense. You can't do that, at least not at the high school level. Um, because we're not allowed, I can't grade you on behavior. I can't. That that goes against my job. Um, I can't give you participation, like teachers do, but I can't, like, I can't. Like, I'm supposed to be grading you on whether or not you meet the standards, not whether or not you are well behaved in my classroom. Uh, and then, so, so, and then what else can we do? We can contact the parents, which obviously, which a lot of the times the parents are uninvolved you can't even reach the parents you can send as many emails home as many phone calls home as you want you will never get a hold of them okay we have parents that block the school number oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and then why didn't i know he was failing his class <laughs> and then you can send them to the office those are or send them outside those are your three options i was like unless i'm missing one do you have one that i was like missing i was like I can hold them in at, and but even then, I'm not even allowed to hold them in at lunch, or I'm not allowed to hold them after school. There's certain times that they're forced to be inside of a classroom, and I can't. My hands are tied on those things. I have to make sure that the student gets a 30-minute lunch. If you're at a school campus like mine, we only offer you 40 minutes for lunch, so I can really only keep you 10 minutes, and then I have to let you go. I can't hold you for any longer than that. And if the kids know those rules, which a lot of them are starting to wisen up to, then it, it makes things more and more difficult as time goes on. So it's just, it's frustrating. There's not a lot that you can do as a teacher to try and control those situations um, if you have some of this stuff going on. And I mean, I'm just coming at it from the teacher side. I think that I, we still haven't unpacked this bigger moral issue that's- We'll get to the moral yeah. thing, but I, I think this has gone on a good in a good little direction of, because uh, Colton and I, you, you and I don't always want this, doesn't always have to be about Christianity, and uh, Andy kind of brought it up, and then Colton, you kind of dove into it too about how a lot of this is the problem <laughs> when you read stories like this and you get outraged. And I gotta admit, to be honest with you, I was yeah, I was a little chapped about when I read the article, I was like, you just sat around and did nothing? I mean, I, I did kind of expect, like, the, I don't know, a, a guy from one of the Western movies to come in and stand up and actually do something while the rest of the town stood there and said, oh, my God, they're, you know, they're 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 raping and taking everything we got. So, yeah, I just kind of expected the Wild Bunch teachers to step in and not let this special needs kid get beat up to a bloody pulp. But how many people who are reading that and were upset about the teachers being not intervening are what you guys are describing 
parents who are not involved who just think that church school is daycare and they go off there and everything they're supposed to learn is the teacher's problem and the school's problem and that's not my problem and even the even the discipline although don't over discipline the kids cuz i have a right to you didn't ask me if you could you could do that to the kids you brought up money and I agree with you. There's a lot of instances, not around here, this area pays its teachers well, but there's a lot of areas where teachers don't pay teachers very well. But in general, we don't have, it, it, I would say the average person thinks we don't spend, on well, the average person, a lot of people in this country don't think we don't spend enough money on education. That's simply not true. That money's just not being spent where it needs to be spent. And spending more money doesn't result in better education there's a classic uh lawsuit in kansas city from 1985 till 1993 a federal judge basically stepped in and took over a school and over that period of time spent two billion dollars at that kansas city inner city school he basically came to the conclusion that the reason why the students there were failing and the kids in the suburbs weren't was a money issue. So they spent two that two million. They bring they built a brand new school built on a classical Greek architecture. It had an Olympic swimming pool with an underground observation deck of the pool. They hired a Soviet fencing coach to come in and be the fencing coach at the school. I mean, this school had anything it wanted it could get and guess what happened test scores didn't go up at all grades didn't go up at all nothing happened i keep i keep going back to when when we came back to the classroom post covid and it became the school's responsibility for social and emotional learning so if you think about i i i they People in education throw that combination of words out ad nauseum, and it, it always gives me pause every time somebody says it, because just break it down. So the social part. We are responsible, teachers, administrators, aides, custodians even, ladies that serve the lunch, or people who serve the lunch, sorry. Um, we are the ones that are that are being held responsible for teaching the kids how what you know what are acceptable social interactions excuse me please thank you things of that nature it's our responsibility they don't talk about these the kids should be learning these these morals and these things at home we have to take time out of the educational day to to do that and why is that it's because there's a void there they are coming to school not knowing that stuff we we and that's one of the things if you're if you're raised you know in a judeo-christian home you have certain things that are that are the norm for you and you expect that everybody else shares those but that's not the case in many households it's not shared it's we do what we need to do so that we can survive today and we'll worry about tomorrow tomorrow and the earth this earth this life that we're given this is it and there's nothing beyond that. We can go through whatever motions 
we go through for, you know, whatever, you know, if there's some kind of semblance of a church or something that people go to on a weekly basis, but then flush it as soon as they leave. But it was, it's our responsibility at the school level to teach them the social aspect and then the emotional aspect of them. You know, we're with the kids sometimes more than their parents are. So then we're also responsible for helping them deal with all of the things they went through from, from being out of the classroom, being away from their friends, um, you know, during, during that COVID time. And you think about all the things, all the instructional time that's wasted because we're having to deal with that stuff. And you think, how did parents react when they were the ones in charge of making their kids, you know, get on the computer and log in and participate in classes? I mean, and I'm talking those parents that were actually around. Right. Because many left an older child or sibling of the younger ones in charge when they had to leave for work. And the older sibling or whatever was then put in charge of all these other kids to make sure that they had breakfast or whatever. To get and to get on their Chromebooks and and log in and you know be there. For, I mean, we were expecting kindergartners to do this for God's sake. Right, right. So, what what is going on with our society? What is going on when it's the school? You know, a, essentially a government entity, a government organization, is responsible for bringing up kids in what kind of social interactions and manners and things like that they should have. And then it's our responsibility to help them deal with the emotional things. Like, well, what is happening at home? What is not happening at home? If the school, and we're all fine with that. I, well, I think it's a couple things. And I'm going to defend parents a little bit. We have created this society where women are either required in order to keep up with the Joneses or expected to work. And so nobody's at home. And we got two people working. I do empathize with the thing of I'm coming home and now I got to do, you know, get the kid through homework. I think there's a, there is, whether people want to hear it or not, there is a healthy percentage of people who don't want to be engaged and think it's the school, the school's job. And where I do empathize, they shouldn't agree with it. They should push back on it rather than just go along with it. But there's a little, a level of, empathy that I have because again it's not monolithic in schools the two people at the table sitting with me wouldn't agree with this but I think there's a healthy level of people particularly in the bureaucracy even then that percentage grows the higher up you go in the bureaucracy that actually does think it is the parent's job I mean the teacher's job and only the teacher's job it is the school's job and only the school's job to do the educating, the socializing, the moralizing. Right. If they're not the ones spending the time in the classroom, and part of that comes out of this again, this this idolization that we've we've assumed on over experts, expertise. Well, I'm a, I'm an expert, and then that trickles down to the parents because particularly if you're maybe in a, a, depending on what level of education, if you're if you're a, 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 a parent who has gone to college and you buy into this notion, well, they're a teacher. They know this, they know this better than I do. Like, because, you know, basic geometry is all that complicated. Um, I'm going to leave it to the experts because that's what I'm told to do. Oh, well, reminiscent of the uh, recent quote from, from NEA. 
where they said that we know better than anyone what what students need, <laughs> what kids need to learn and thrive. Yeah, yeah, the NEA say that, and you had in large part the guy, the sitting governor of Virginia lost his race because he's had the he stood up and said what he believed, which is we know better than parents do on how to teach their students, and it's you shouldn't be showing up at school at school district meetings complaining about it. And a lot of people who aren't even conservative or Republican said, oh, hell no. I think it's hard. Um, as somebody who's not a parent, um, so I mean, I'm 27 years old. I have no kids. And yeah, I'm being asked on a daily basis to contribute and this is always going to be the case. Every teacher, I don't think, would not recognize the fact that at some level, we are being asked to um, to be a part of this kid's life and to help with the raising of the child. 100%. Yeah, I think all of us as, as teachers would recognize that. We, we understand that we have a responsibility to that. That's why we focus a lot as teachers across the board, I think that this happens across the nation, we focus on modeling, right? And like, I, I don't get up in front of a, a classroom and I don't cuss at kids and I don't get angry with them and that kind of stuff. We model behavior. We understand that, the, that we have ways that we would react to things, but this is the way that we should react to things. And that's why it's very important that teachers kind of model that behavior for students and that kind of stuff. And that's a huge focus. Um, and yeah, and social emotional learning was not a new thing. Um, before, uh, before COVID, it was talked about, you know, this is something that you should be incorporating in your classroom. And mainly what it was was just like, hey, checking on your students. And you say, hey, how are you doing? How are things going on at home? And that, I'd say that a, a lot of those teachers out there that, that care, they're doing that. they were doing that stuff already. Um, they, they were checking in with students. A part of social emotional learning is, is being at football games or being at, you know, the things that the kids are a part of, uh, and, and, and remembering those things and asking them about it and that kind of stuff. It means the world to kids. Um, and it helps them, you know, understand that they have a place in this social setting. Um, and we've offered a lot and we've thrown a lot of money at social emotional, um, right? We, uh, a majority of our school campuses uh, in our area now have a social worker that works there. We have also got multiple counselors, um, and we even have school psychologists on a lot of sites, um, which is awesome. Um, we have a lot of tools at our disposal that kids can tap into and a part of this growing process and understanding life, understanding themselves, which is really awesome. The hard part is, is that... Um, as I think that when it comes to a lot of parents um, and when it comes to teachers is that our parenting, so to speak, in the classroom is on full display and there are 32 different opinions in my class every single class that I have. There are 32 different parents that like or dislike what I do in a classroom, but yet this is, but really actually all that I was hired to do was just make sure that your student met the standards, right? And so there is a variety of different opinions and my parenting for that hour and a half time period is on full display and f has 120 different people that all have a difference of opinion on how that I do that job. Um, and then that continues to be 
and then that student has eight different parents within the day or if we're being honest that have that have them for an hour and a half and even though we technically as a collaborative unit at the high school level see your student more often than any parent gets to see their student um if like like interact with their students so to speak especially at high school when kids are involved in extracurricular activities and they only see their parents like an hour a day and all that kind of stuff um and they don't want to actually see you because they're too cool for you now and all that kind of <laughs> stuff like that's totally fine yeah it's just it's very difficult when we get slammed with a lot of this stuff and it's just oh we're we're doing our best out here i don't think that i know how i, I think that was just a stupid statement we know how to parent your kids better than you do it does make it difficult when I do realize that and to what you said earlier about you could throw as much money at it and it doesn't change a damn thing. And I would agree. I think the thing that is the most important and the most crucial and the best message that I could say ever just based off of the studies is parental involvement. The more involved yeah. you are with your kid's education, the more involved you are with your child. Um, I, I'm not saying be a helicopter parent. Um, but I'm just saying be around your kid, be supportive of your kid as that goes way further than anything else that we could ever do. And I mean, like that's already happening. Like we're doing that on campus. We're being involved with your kids. I'm at soccer games. I'm at football games. I'm at volleyball games. I'm at baseball games. Um, I'm at dances. I'm at, you know, plays, all that kind of stuff. Um, which we don't get paid for. Like that's not a part of our contract or anything like that. Um, and you can still say that we're we're uh, uh, we get paid on salary, so technically anything could be a part of our contract. But um, those are just things that we do to show that we still support and that we invest in your children. Um, and so it's just kind of yeah, I don't think, but I would still say. And again, I'm not a parent. I don't know what it's like to raise one and have a job and all that kind of stuff. I just say that this has been proven to be the most effective thing. And if you're able to get involved with your kids and if you're able to teach them some of those social emotional things that we're talking about, your kid is just going to be that much more successful in the school setting, so to speak. And I think in life personally, but I don't think it just has to be school. But No, I would agree. And the interesting thing is that I would say the majority of people don't realize is if you grew up in a two-parent household, you're more on the fringes now than, than what I think teachers are dealing with in their classrooms nowadays. You've got kids living with their grandparents. You've got foster kids. You've got kids that are technically homeless yeah. because their family lives with you know a grandparent or, or some other family or even in their car. Um, and there's so many situations that I think most people would be hard-pressed to, to be able to empathize with the kids um, because of a lot of things. And, and yet, we're trying to teach them, I, you know, basically, I couldn't possibly understand what you're going through. But you, have a, you will have places in your life where you will be expected to act a certain way in spite of what's going on. And sometimes, like, that's, that's the only thing that we, we can teach them. Right. And as you said, if they're going to get anything from us, 
then that investment has to be made. And it's all the things that you're talking about, going to their band performances, their, you know, all of those things you mentioned. Because then they know. My teacher said that he would go to this, and then when I looked out in the audience, I saw him there. Right. So you start building that. They look around and they say, you know, no adults in my life tell me the truth. They don't keep their promises. They lie. They do all these things. But they can look back and say, you know, Mr. Smith said that he would be at my game, and then when I looked out there, I saw him. He was there. So it's those little things, and they tell you, you know, the kids aren't going to learn anything from you until you build that relationship with them. And that's what we try to do. Does it have work in every case? No, of course it doesn't. But going back to that, you know, social and emotional part, they have to have places in their life where they can look back and say, you know what, not everybody was consistent, but I know that, that some adults <laughs> do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. And I think it's also hard, you know, and there was something that, that you said that I was like, yeah, that's something I would like to double down on where it's like we have. So I understand what my job is and we go out and we do things beyond what our job asks us to do on a regular basis. And and that's not that's not like give us a pat on the back or anything like that. That's just that's just what we do. Like it's not it's it's not a huge thing. But I mean, the, but something that's is you have this kid. Think about it, and maybe a lot of people aren't aware of it, but you have kids in your classroom that come from all kinds of backgrounds. I have the kids that are, that have wealthy parents that have, that both of them are still together, um, and they're sitting in the class, and their biggest concern right now is what I'm about to teach them. And then right next to them, sitting next to them, is a student that, like you said, is living out of their parent, uh, living out of a car um, with just a single mom. Um, and they wear the same exact clothes to school every day. And they say that they do it just because it looks cool. Um, right? Or maybe they have like three changes of clothes. And that's what they're wearing day in and day out. And they have to sit next to this person. And this person that's next to them complains that they stink and all that kind of stuff. And we're telling them that the most important thing that is supposed to exist on the planet right now is the, what I'm talking about for the hour and a half that they're in my classroom. Meanwhile... If I was in those shoes, I want to give two shits about the grammar lesson you're trying to give me, right? Like, they probably are hungry. Yeah, exactly, right. And so it's like this is, and and this is where just teaching is hard, right? Like that's something that we have to. It's hard. I I don't I don't know the answer to that situation or anything, but when that kid you know, acts out in classroom or he doesn't want to listen to me when I tell him to stop hanging out with his friends uh, in my class and you guys can hang out during break. But meanwhile, hanging out with his friends is the one joy that he's getting in his life right now. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard. It's hard as a teacher to to have that situations. And so you feel for a lot of those kids and, and that kind of stuff. And, and again, there's a lot of variables when we, we go back to that fight yeah. that we don't know. And we will, and we may never know this kid. And, and I mean, like, and it's still not enough to even say that that kid that's sitting there, that has two parents at home that completely love them, um, isn't going through the growing pains of being a teenager. And maybe they don't have friend acceptance in their groups, and so they think about suicide on a regular basis, 
right? Even though that they're completely unconditionally loved by their parents who were raised in a Judeo-Christian system or whatever, they're still sitting there thinking about taking their own life every single day that they come into my class or every single day. And it's not because of my class, although it is, right. you know, it may be boring that day, but you know, like, so. No, 100%. And, and the, other, the other side of the coin is we remember the 80-20 rule. Not all teachers are good. Oh, yeah, no. Not all <laughs> cops are good. Not all business owners are good. I mean, it's it's one of those things. So we're 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 sharing a little bit about you know the type of environments that we try to set up in our classrooms and, and things of that nature. But going back to that fight situation, maybe you had that uh, Mr. D teacher, and he wants to like what you were joking about. He wants to record the fight and then upload it and see how many likes he gets on YouTube or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. Not all, not all teachers, just because they, they went into the profession does not mean they have any sort of altruism when it comes to the kids or, or what their job is. You know, and they collect, and especially in our area, we collect a, a, a good paycheck for what we do. And we talked about, I mean, have you ever thought about why schools make a, such a big deal about perfect attendance? Why they would send, you know, employ truant officers and things of that nature? Why we would go specifically to a house and get a kid and make sure that they start going to school. And for our district, it's ADAs, the average daily attendance, which uh, it's not popular to talk about, but it could be seven to $10,000 per day that a school would collect from a kid or from, you know, from the state for the kid being, being in the seats, depending on what kind of, um, what kind of students make up your student body, that number can vary as far as what they collect from the state and, and federal government. So it, it, I mean, if you think about it, it can be seen as a business. So we as educators, if you've, if you've been educated in the system, if you're kind of new, you've had a pretty good foundation built of what, what you should do in your classroom for classroom management and what kind of uh, things are best practices to do to you know to be be a successful teacher but like you said they, they teach us about how to manage a classroom and, and and things of that nature but if your job is to to go out there and and tell the kid teach the kids a, a particular subject area what they need to know and all that kind of thing and you're not even going to get to that you're not even going to be able to get to what your quote-unquote job is until you do all those things that we discussed earlier. You have to build that relationship so the kids will understand that you care about them, that you're establishing a safe place for them, and then they'll be more apt to hear what you have to say. I want to make an even stronger statement. I would say it just about every school district around the country. The tools that are being employed by the school district or the county or the state um, they are being sold to the parents as tools to judge whether or not their kids are being educated. And there's some level of uh, they're not they're not inaccurate, but really, what those tools are collection of statistics. They're not really there to judge what the the quality of the education. They're there so that a politician, whether it be a, a school board member or a mayor or a city council member or a governor or president, 
can tell the voters that they are definitively improving education. And I, again, I'm going to make a grand statement. Nine times out of ten, those statistics have zero to do with whether or not kids are actually learning anything. And often, those statistics create perverse systems that lead to the opposite. Case in point is George W. Bush's uh, seemingly decent idea but completely ill-fated program of No Child Left Behind, which all that did was lead a lot of school districts around the country to teach two tests because, as Andy was talking about, money was then doled out based on test scores because we got it stuck in our mind that somehow test scores were everything and we've got to compete against the Swedish students and the Indian students and the Korean and the Japanese students and the Chinese students. And they're beating us in all these things. So we got to increase our math scores. Whether or not kids are actually learning real math is immaterial. Because, again, it's a way for a politician to really very simply say, I, I increased education under my watch. And so, so, again, we had a system that nationwide pretty much just started teaching to tests. That's not education. Just like we've had this revolution of inserting technology into classrooms because kids are going to have access to more information. Information is not education. It is simply information. And being equipped with information and not being trained on how to digest that information and critically think through that information is really, count. it's, it's actually counterproductive. And so a lot of these programs are really, at the end of the day, unfortunately, just for a politician to pat themselves on the back. 100%. Educators and administrators love to point to data without ever asking if the data is good. And a lot of times we have these kids take these tests, and just as you said, we're trying to use it as a metric to guide the direction that we're going to go. And it always makes me laugh. We're, we're looking at test scores from eighth graders that leave our school to then help us dictate what we're going to do with the next group of eighth graders that come in who may be totally different in every way from the ones that were there previously. But the kids aren't necessarily valuing or understand the importance of the test they're taking and why, I mean, they're, they're very, it's very common to see copy and paste text from the question into the answer box when they're doing it on technology. It makes it look like they put a response in there, but they really didn't want to answer the question or they'll put a period or IDK or something of that nature. So we're not, we're not as you said, we're not really measuring what they know. No, we're just digesting numbers. Yeah. You could have two, two, two teachers that teach English and one, all of his students are, fa are passing and the other one has a 60% pass rate. And a very superficial uh, examination of those two numbers could be that this teacher is really good at teaching all of his kids and they're passing all the tests and this other one is really bad at it. And really what it is is this one's not at all being rigorous in teaching their, his, his or her students and they're all passing. And the other one actually is and the kids aren't, aren't meeting the tests. Why, the scores, the, the what, whatever we're actually trying to... Uh, Decipher is uh, having a grasp of the English language or grammar or whatever, whatever that the part of that English class might be. 
um, because that would require a little more work than just taking some numbers and throwing them in a computer and spitting out an algorithm because, you know, algorithms just solve everything now in the 21st century. Colton? Yeah, I think the hard part about data when it comes to teaching is uh, data feeds a beast um, that you create. Um, so I can I can look for data all I want, but the problem is is that all data that is collected by we we're not collecting samples of or the proper samples. We're just collecting the data that we want to that we want. And so therefore we collect our samples that we're looking for and that kind of stuff. And legitimately it can always, if you do it right, can always be bolstered. And so are you getting accurate representation? Is this actually what's happening? If you have so much pressure from administration down upon the teachers that pushes for data, they can either teach to the test or in my situation, or and I don't say like my situation as if I'm doing it, I'm just saying that as English teachers, a lot of our um a lot of our grading deals with rubrics and it's very um vague and you can curve a lot so you have you so when you talked about english teachers i think that that was a really good one to use because english teachers uh can i think it's not like math right like two plus two equals four the student has to have yeah it's more subjective but we get to be uh <laughs> more ethereal so to speak you know with uh, these answers mm -hmm. so oh yeah well they showed it here and well like i give them like a half point because you know like uh and you hear teachers doing that on like a regular basis um and you have teachers that are like no i'm supposed to be like that that they did not meet the standard that's what the standard was you get no points like um and that is hard um i think that I've made this argument for a long time, and it's not a very popular one, and so I'll say it on the podcast, and it'll go nowhere, <laughs> but I think you, in education, I don't think that the A through F model, the letter grade system, is very effective. Uh, there's and there's people that are like, well, we should do the one through four. Um, I think that pass-fail is good enough. I think that most colleges now don't give a rat's ass about what your grades are. I think they look mostly at your writing scores um, and those types of things. Uh, when you write your letter, uh, they're looking to see, can you actually academically participate? Did you pass all of your classes? Um, and the reason for that is, is because that data that was supposed to be the letter grades before that they were supposed to get off of, they now know that it has no merit. Now they're like, okay, we can't really take you on that because you could have a variety of different teachers that could have all said yeah they did great and then they didn't do anything at all right there's no common sure thing going yeah, on great, like, we great. don't even know what they're teaching and that kind of stuff so it, that is a wash your that's letter a, grades are a wash and that's even a thing in high in high priced uh private schools where yeah. it's where it's known that grade inflation is a thing right grade inflation is a thing i mean and I, it's not that's what it's that way it, it very expensive, very yeah. the most prestigious colleges of. It's impossible to get you know 
get less than an A or B in, in Harvard. Well, how is that? Well, they're all really smart. Really? You don't have some guys, who, kids who just show up and like, yeah, I don't really care. No, well, and for it's a lot of inflation. And for a lot of doctoral programs, they don't really care about your grades anymore. They're really looking at your writing sample that you're submitting. They want to see if you are fit. What, uh, what is your career that's revolving around this? Like, are you going to be able to contribute to the the school of thought, so to speak? And so that becomes more of what they're looking at when you're applying for those types of things. So just colleges are not putting as much of a focus on these letter grades anymore. So what I always suggest is I think you should just go to a pass-fail method. And uh, I was like, did you meet the standard? Did you not meet the standard? Um, And I think that would eliminate a lot of gray area that exists within the realm of English of did you meet the standard or no? There's no in-between. There's no like, did you do this? Did you do that? I was like, the standards are pretty cut and dried. Did you identify the theme of this text? Yes or no? No, you didn't. Right. <laughs> did you defend your answer on this? No, you did not. Right? You know, so you... Um, and I mean, like, that's technically what a technical... In a technical sense, that is what a teacher is hired to do, is they are supposed to sit there, you're supposed to teach your student to meet those standards, and then say whether or not those students pass or fail those. But again, with the grade inflation, and that's the data that they're searching for, you can skew that all you want i was like you can you can teach to those specific things you can do reteaching you can which is totally fine like if you do reteaching i'm not saying that's good teaching actually you should do that but like there's but i could only focus on one thing if i know that that's all the data that's going to that is going to come in for right now like for example at my school we are focusing on the third body paragraph so i could my students for the data collection that's supposed to go in, I could totally throw out the window teaching my students how to write an introductory and a conclusion paragraph and totally throw out the window how to format an essay and do all that kind of stuff. Because all the data that they want to know is for the third body paragraph. So I can just teach them how to write that third body paragraph. I could technically write the entire thing up on the board for them and have them copy and paste it down and then collect the data from that. And they'd be like, well, this is a perfect essay. (laughs) I wrote it. You got the answer, sir. But we call it sentence frames in English. And so, therefore, that's what the students use. And so, sorry, I'm getting on a soapbox. It's very, no, it's fine. It's very frustrating. Because um, that's technically what you could do to inflate your data. So, uh, again, they're just an example of ways that you can skew things. And so it feeds the beast. But then you can sit there and say, ah, look at us. We have all A's. And they wrote perfect essays. Well, to be fair, you... To be fair. To be fair. To be fair. You are being held accountable for whether or not your students are meeting the standard. Right. And you teach what, freshmen? I do. Freshmen, okay. But what you may or may not be aware of, gentle audience, is that many of Colton's students are reading at a level far below the freshman level. Right. Third grade. Right. Fourth grade. Right. Um, And yet, they're still expected to hit that standard. So... How have they progressed through our educational system getting to the high school level and still having an elementary school level of reading? Right. And if you think about it, and here's a very unique thing about English in particular um, at the high school level. So if you don't pass, let's say, Algebra 1, you don't move on to Geometry whatever that, or algebra two, that that just makes it more, right? You didn't, you weren't able to understand those concepts, so you don't move on to algebra two, you need to retake algebra one. 
in English in high school, if you don't pass English one, you go to English two. If you don't pass English two, you go to English three. You move on. They're going to keep throwing stuff at you and they're going to continue to expect higher and higher standards from you, even though you don't know the basic concepts of being, being able to participate in the class. Right? Like, that's what's crazy, right? And the, the, here's also something about differentiating instruction. Differentiating instruction means that all of my students come with a variety of different capabilities and abilities in my class, okay? Something that's very prominent in our area are English language learners. This is a huge yes. thing across the state of California. Massive. California um, has over 70 languages that we deal with in our school systems across the state. Right. And there's a lot. And just to be clear, that's, that happens in the United States a lot. But it, for our state, it's a huge focus. Let me stop for a second. I, I would say it's one of the reasons why it's one of the reasons why illegal immigration is a problem is is frustrating because a lot of parents who do deal with this who don't who are english speakers they understandably find this frustrating and just to put a pin on it um, i mean uh, pu punctuate it Tim, not only sure do they not box? what are you sure you want to open this box uh, not only are these students not english speakers they're not even fluent they're not even, uh, not fluent, but literate. literate in their own language. Correct. Right. Well, and, and so we have, we have this whole situation, right? Um, and so, and so the, what we have is you are then labeled in our system. If you, when you were five years old, you get a packet sent home to your parents and they have to fill it out and say, blah, 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 blah. And if you mark that it is not your child's first language is English, you are then marked, your child will then forever be marked in the California educational system as an EL learner. Okay. Hester Prince. It doesn't matter if you've been, <laughs> right? It didn't matter if you were an English, like if, if all your child knew was English, if you still said that it was not their first language, they spoke Spanish or like, they spoke Spanish, like their first word was hola, but like you just said it all the time, right? Like that, like... If they only knew English, they would be forever marked as, and they will have to then pass a test for them to know, they would still be marked as an English language learner, but then they would be considered what is called redesignated. If you are not considered redesignated, then you are considered a, on a variety of levels throughout the spectrum of English language learner, okay? Which means that this is how well you know the English language. Let's, so now that I've given you- It just you, makes me laugh that native speakers are not judged so harshly. <laughs> I know, right? It's ridiculous. So we could, get... Could a citizen of the United States pass the citizen test to I be know. a citizen? And so we're... So... Now we, we got the general sense. Now now in the specific sense. So in my, in my class, I can have a variety of students that have a, a different understanding of the English language. Um, so like you said, there's a lot of them that are, could be reading at a second and third grade level, which we do test at the beginning of the year. And we do find out that about 90 to 95% of my students are not reading at the high school level. And about 80% of those students are not even reading at the junior high level or the middle school level. Okay. So that means that 80% of my students are reading below a sixth grade reading level. Okay, we got that data, which we talked about inflating. Which... That's, that's important data. So, <laughs> this is the first time I've ever had this happen in my class. And this happens all the time. This happens everywhere. And what's funny is that this is just the only time that it's ever happened in an 
like this doesn't happen this happens in every single classroom um other than english but it happens occasionally in english and the reason why it's funny is just you'll see in a minute so funny haha no not funny haha so the so when you have these el students they're on a varying degree they're anywhere they're labeled anywhere from one to four if you are four then you have passed the test. You've passed what is called the LPAC, and you are able to be integrated fully into all of your classes with no problem and no support. You don't have to any, the state says that we don't have to support you anymore. You are fully adept in English to where you're able to participate in class without any EL support. Other, if you are anything lower than that, then you have to get a varying degrees of support. If you are a one, that means that you are learning colors your ABCs. That is your understanding of the language. That is the support class that you are in. That is the English class that you are in. That is what they are teaching you. Two to three, two, okay, we might be able to put you in an English class, but usually they hold them back. They're working on more of the sentence structures, a lot of those grammar exercises, that kind of stuff. Three is they can usually get by. They understand the language. There's gonna be some like sarcasm, maybe not very well understood. There's a lot of stuff, and maybe they're just not able to read very well. But they're able to talk and communicate, but maybe not write or read very well. So that would be, so that would often fall to an English teacher. So they come into the English class, usually at a three level, and we're usually able to help them in a general ed English class. The twos know the swear words in English. <laughs> the twos do know the swear words. So this year, for the first time ever, I have a one in my general ed English class. The student does not know the colors, the alphabet, and I am supposed to make sure and decide whether or not they meet the standards of a ninth so, grade student. So they're lower than the exchange students is what you're saying. This that, That's not fair. I mean, I, I mean, good grief. It's right. Like this is the thing that you, so. I mean, the how kid, is that even a thing? Like, the how student, can a kid be put into your the student because someone to... decided it was it was maybe maybe this is the case. I don't know. Maybe it's just a shit sandwich, and you're and and it's a, you got two bad choices. Sorry, Colton, but I, someone had to decide that it's better for them to be uneducated and with their peers. Uh, than being educated and a grade or two behind and getting caught up. Oh, but no, you. Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. This is a senior in my freshman English class. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, my okay. bad. Okay, sorry All for right, not specifying so... that. He's the only senior in that class. Once um, again, context makes all. The and, sense. <laughs> and yeah, no, but I'm. But here's. The he kid, has to graduate. The kid, he does. He has to. He graduate, does. That's so the he idea. Has to be in that it's class. for the graduation rate. Oh, so I, boy. and listen, the kid is great. I have no problems with him. Uh, he's, he, his parents moved over from El Salvador last year. Like, this See, that's is like. the thing. We judge, we judge freaking kids based on how well they're doing in school. And I, I, this kid's not an idiot or, or a dead No, absolutely not. And the fact that he's trying to learn a second language is awesome. Like, oh my goodness. Like, the, what he is doing is amazing. The problem is, is he's being put into my regular English class where I have 31 other students that I have to teach how to construct essays when this guy doesn't know letters. I, 
I can't even communicate. Yeah, that's not fair to you. Well, now, hold I on can't, a second. I can't communicate. He uses Google what? Translate. What do you mean he doesn't know letters? Because even, is he illiterate in Spanish? No, he's not. Well, yeah. Like, to a varying degree. Like, I mean, the letters are Spanish the same. Spanish actually has more letters in the alphabet. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, the how to use them in, like, words and that kind of stuff. You know, like, focusing, again, like... They're focusing on colors. They're focusing on the alphabet exercises. They're focusing on numbers. They're, that's what they're teaching them at when they're at that level is how do we begin to speak English. Okay, well, that's a perfect anecdote. And I'm not I'm, – you, Annie, you said it. You're, and you're correct. You, you get a little dicey when you start bringing up um, immigration. And I'm not bringing this up as like an anti-immigration thing. I'm just saying – for those of you who are listening to this, hopefully we have some that are very much open borders or not, not open borders. They're just very much let everyone in. There's a dark side to that. Now, it might be more important that the, that the family come here from El Salvador and have to deal with that. I perfectly understand that. But let's not act as if this is just people being op- arms open wide and they're going to integrate in society and everything's going to be weird. Everything's going to be great. And again, as what I was saying before, if I'm a parent and my kid's in there and I'm finding out Colton's having to spend all this time on this kid who's way behind, you can see why some resi- it might it might be misplaced. I'm not justifying it, but no, let's just no, be nowadays, but let's be honest. Parents are going to be like, "What?" The catchphrase nowadays is, uh, "You're racist." Exactly. It's just you're automatically racist. Whereas no, it's just how is this beneficial to all the other kids who are trying to who are trying to move on to junior college or college? That is an excellent point, and nothing in California will change until people on that side of it start suing, because that's the language that California speaks is right. It's the language of lawsuits. Yes, that that is the language, and until. And also, and also, be crass and say, "You're you're sacrificing my kid being able to go to a good college in order to see that this kid catches up." And again, I don't blame the kid. The kid's like you said, he's a great kid and all that. But the, these are the problems we're creating by just saying, "Like let everyone in." The system can can absorb them and all that. No, it, it often cannot. Yeah, and I mean, what and you are potentially sacrificing your own kid's education if you are for that. Just be if if you're for that, that's fine. Well, yes, because then you're being exposed to other cultures. No, let's just take it at face value. You're being compassionate. You think it's great. Fine. If that's what that's you, that's fine. But let's not be doe-eyed about this (laughs) and say everything's great when no, it's actually creating a lot of problems. And we haven't even spoken about, you know, I can't even as a teacher imagine trying to, you know, you're going from trying to teach this to. All right. No, it's you. No, this is, sorry, buddy. It's brown. <laughs> it's brown. <laughs> brown. Yeah. What's going to happen when they get to Macbeth? <laughs> no, but that's the thing is like you are legitimately, you are sitting there and you are talking. His students had enough trouble with mice of, of mice and men. I I love this. I love this kid. Like I, again, it's there's not any problems with the kid. It's just more. I'm having problems with the system where you are thinking that it is, where I, <laughs> it is my responsibility as the teacher to make sure that this student passes this class. 
Meanwhile, I am working with someone who has as much exposure to the language as a kindergartner or a first grader. Colton, I I I can relate to this. I I was thinking (laughs) prior to COVID when I had had four students put into my class that were fresh out of the newcomer class, which is basically a class that kids go into when they don't know a word of English. Right. So they were put into my eighth grade science class. All four of them newcomers. They didn't speak a word of English. Why were they put into my class, you might ask? Their time was up being in the newcomer class. They, the clock starts ticking as soon as they get put in there. They have one year. And after that one year's time's up, okay, you're into general education. Now, they do that because they need room. They can only hold you know so many... Uh, right. students in that class but then what what are we doing with these four kids that, that in this particular case they were all spanish speaking i know you're sh- shocked by that but what are they going to do being now held accountable for grades in an eighth grade science class that's at an eighth grade level um, and they don't understand english at all right and you have astronomically large vocabulary words (laughs) which sometimes mean totally different things than what they do in general conversation right (laughs) yes absolutely um it's so it's a it's a let's apply this let's apply this to things outside school this is like telling a mid to upper an upper management level manager here's a new guy I know you're training all the new lower management people how to run their their departments. But I got this new guy. He's never worked for the company ever. And while you're training all the new managers, you need to train him how to be an employee and a manager. Now, if you're listening to this and you're in the business world, you'd say, that's nuts. I can't teach. I'm trying to teach the new, the new managers on how to be managers. And you're wanting to teach this guy how to be an employee and a manager, or I don't know, think of any sport, just any kind of sport, football or whatever. You're the you're a, ba- a college baseball coach, and you got a guy. Oh yeah, we got this new guy. Okay, what is he played? No, he's never played baseball before. But you got these five guys, and we all think they're going to get drafted into the pros. And this guy, we need him starting at first base at some point during the season. Okay. Which one do you want me to focus on? Do you want me to get these guys off to being in the pros? Both. Or do you no, want no, this you guy to, to be a starting? No, both. you need to do both. Both. <laughs> Those the, are the answer is both. And the answer is both. And and what's and, and we're gonna pay you two pennies for the year. We're gonna pay two, <laughs> two, 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 two bits. Two bits. Two bits. And and your performance review will reflect <laughs> your how performance well you review. Have done. But 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 also not to be funny about it. How can you not be funny about <laughs> it? That was the that was the greatest thing you ever did. Is put it in terms of you know. But to, to, I guess to, to put a bow to put a bow on it, and why this is not fair to you guys. It's that requires. It's not two different types of teachers. One doesn't have to be trained in teaching someone who's, you know, in 12th grade. And it, but it, it just it reinforces 
you can do one or the other. I can have a classroom full of kids who might be 9, 10, 11, 12, and they're all reading at a reduced level where they should be. So I'm all, you know, this one might be ninth grade and reading at fifth, but I'm all trying to get them up to a level. That's easier. That would be easier than having kids are like, oh, they're, you know, they're fairly within the mean of what we want. But then you got this kid and you're basically trying to teach him Greek and he's, uh, yeah, he can't even, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's, this is, uh, but what's funny is, so the reason why I was laughing about it a bit to start when I said it, it's funny in a way. Oh, it because, is funny. It's just, well, no, because this, oh, and what Andy kind of stepped into also is so in English, right? Like I, and what's always funny is like, so the, what's hard is I'm grading them on their English level at the ninth grade level. But then as Andy pointed out, most of these students they are at the one or the two level that don't really understand a lot of the language. Those students are still thrown into regular gen ed classes. They often miss English because, again, they or no, they always miss a regular gen ed English class because they would be graded on how well they're able to write an essay when they can barely write words in English. Again, I'm not saying that they can't write words in Spanish or they or in whatever language that they know because, again. Uh, it's just Spanish is very dominant in our area, but you have, but they're free game in all their other classes, right? They got to go to PE, they got to go to science, they got to go to math, where their teacher is speaking in complete English sentences when they, again, can't even formulate words to say them. So it's just, it's difficult. It's very challenging. Um. And I mean, like, yeah, you can just tell us to buck up little campers. And, and I mean, like, we do. Like, we do our job. Sure. We, we go out there and we do it and we do the best that we can. And, but, yeah, it's as you say, and there will be a performance review on it and it will reflect. <laughs> and don't you dare let us catch you sitting down. Well, yeah, there's a level of bucking up. I, it's, not, it's not the woe is me thing. Of it. I, think, I think even those of us who are engaged in politics and maybe even a lot of people who are engaged in their local school board still just don't get a full, full understanding of what's going on in school. And that obviously varies by school district and area. Some, some towns are more or less impacted by, uh, undocumented students and undocumented students aren't the reason for the whole problem. We have other problems as well that are even within homegrown students in education but well i didn't expect this to turn into the uh special it's it's almost like a special episode of joey special on a special episode of blossom we talk school but that's what it turned into it's been doing really good that's funny i had a perfect example for what you were going off of originally i had like a great thing to like discuss for that so i guess we'll have to save it for another no time. go on say it we're going to have to, like, cycle all the way back to, like, the original discussion. You want me to go all the way back there? Sure. All right. Do we have enough beer for this? Okay. All right. So, like, all right. so let's get back. Sorry for the super long tangent on how difficult it is to be a teacher. Again, we, the, we... Andy and I are very happy with our jobs. Absolutely. Love our jobs. Like, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love what I do. 
Um, love hanging out with kids. Uh, love getting the opportunity to uh, share English with them. And, um, and I mean, my job is so much more than that. Um, just being able to spend time with them is amazing. Um, so it, it's what we do. We love it. We're not, again, remember those, not every teacher is a good teacher. Some teachers are in it for the summer vacations and the winter breaks. And in this area, you get paid fairly decently. So some teachers are in it just for that. So um, I, we're not. Um, we, we love what we do. And um, we look forward to the school year every year. Um, but to cycle back to the conversation, and I'm looking at the moral dilemma, right? The, the thing that we were getting at initially is you were saying that there is this fight. The teacher has these rules by which they must apply to, and we need to sit there and evaluate whether or not that matters, right? Like, does the rule actually matter? Oh, yeah. And so the, what, uh, what's funny was there's actually an incident that happened on I think it was about 10 years ago. So you have uh, the city of brotherly love, uh, Philadelphia, right? Mm -hmm. Am I right on that? Oh, okay, I just didn't want to mess this up. Okay. I, I was like, I was like, I'm pretty sure it's Philadelphia. Well, you I didn't know who the hell Howard Cosell was, so I, you, know, you might not know what Philadelphia True. was. So. <laughs> so Philadelphia. Uh, I want to say it was about a decade ago. It may have been a little bit longer. Philadelphia has a huge homeless issue. Huge. Um, and the, it was getting so bad, it was getting ridiculous, and so they decided to come up with a law in the city, which was that um, homeless people were not able to sleep on the streets or in public parks. There was no place for the homeless people to sleep. They were... Uh, there was... Uh, and if you've ever experienced metropolitan homelessness um it, you have lines to get in to um stay in certain places and then once they fill up that's it um you have men only shelters but uh there's not a lot of them there's usually a lot of women's and children's uh shelters but there's not a lot of men shelters and so there's not a lot of places for them to go um and some of those places can be completely across town um and you like i said uh a a good movie for this honestly is if you've ever seen the movie the pursuit of happiness um oh yeah it's, a good, know, that's yeah, a, it's great that's a good one to kind of get an idea of what and i mean that's just san francisco what metropolitan homelessness looks like in the experience there's also a lot a lot of strings attached yeah so just understanding that concept. And so what they had done is they had eliminated the idea of you are not allowed to sleep on the streets and you're not allowed to sleep in parks. And so there was a huge movement and uh, the guy that was leading it, um, he's a pastor of a church. This guy's crazy. Um, crazy in a good way. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know the story. This he wrote a awesome. book about it. Yeah, he wrote a book about it and the book's awesome. I recommend anybody go there, right? And so... Uh, what ended up happening was we'll they, put the book in the show notes. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, what ended up happening was they decided to uh, sleep in a park. They all got together. They were like, "All right, we're gonna." So we're all gonna go out here and we're all gonna sleep in the park. And so they all get arrested for sleeping in the park. And so they decide to then fight their trial, um, push their their uh, their their case to the court, and they go all the way up to the. They get only to the Pennsylvania city court 
Right. Pennsylvania State Court. No, uh, I don't think it's even the state court. I think it's still Philadelphia. I think it's in the city. Okay. Uh, I don't remember. So they get, they get all the way, they get up, so they just go to the city and they start fighting it. And what, he's wearing a shirt that says Jesus was homeless, I think is what it says. <laughs> and the judge, the judge asks him, he says, uh, it's great. He, like, he has his line ready for him and the judge asked him about his shirt. And he says, he's like, Jesus was a homeless man? And he says, and he says the line where uh, the Son of Man uh, has no place to lay his head. Um, the quote from the scriptures and is an awesome line. And he's like, thinks about it for a minute. And so they charge them and they continue to say, and that obviously they have no case, right? Um, because it's the law. It's yeah, the law. The, of the, the judge. And so the, and so the, the district attorney and the, they're sitting there and they're saying, this is the law. It says that you are not allowed to do that. And the judge stops the entire trial and he says, this is not an issue of whether or not this is the law. It's whether or not the law is actually right. Like, is it okay to have this law? And he said, absolutely not. And he said, give me one of those shirts. <laughs> it's awesome. This cool moment. They won their case. They get the whole thing. The law gets overturned. And, and that's the thing is like, right, we have laws in this country. And again, we, we weren't planning on getting on this whole political discussion tonight. We were like, okay, well. No, I think that's exactly where I wanted to go, particularly as Christians, where I mean, we can go at it another way with Christians too, where they use the law that are in the various laws that are in the Bible, and get we get upset about those, and we miss we miss the the question the fundamental question of would is that what Jesus would lead into? Because even if you want to say, well, you know, adultery is a problem and all that kind of thing, Jesus didn't lean into that. That wasn't the first thing out of his mouth when he dealt with the woman who was going to get stoned. That's not what he led into when he, when he dealt with the woman at the, at the well. He led into it, actually. He did lean into it. That was the first thing out of his mouth when he was dealing with a Pharisee. He was very, when it was someone who was very open about wanting to apply rules to everybody else and make absolutism on rules as the way we go through life, he was very quick to, to go lean into the rules and expose the hypocrisy of, on that. Right, but it, but when we had to get into what I and this is this is problematic. It's, I, I admit this is problematic because you could argue that again to get political. Well, I'm not getting political. I'm I'm casting judgment on all politicians. But I think one thing that ruins politicians is they get too ethically they they get into situational ethics that then gets them into trouble. But there is a level of situational ethics that Christians are required to delve into that we too often do not. To your point, Paul says, follow the government. The government is the government. It's installed by God. To which a lot of Christians would say, the government said that the homeless can't sleep there. You should never do that. And you're violating God's law if you flout the government. And another version of that is, uh, is that really what is more important? Yeah, I mean, Andy, do you want to unpack anything first before? 
Yeah, Annie's sitting here doing I'm, at the table. We're uh, at Tenny's. Annie's watching a tennis match. I'm laughing the whole time because I'm thinking if I were the homeless guy, I'm like, so take me to jail, and then you'll provide me my meals. I'll have a safe and warm place to stay, um, and I won't have to worry about it for you know. And what do they do? They probably kick them right back out on the street. Right. They wouldn't be able to handle all of the people that got arrested for sleeping in a park. Right, and that's that was their goal. They were like, "We're gonna fill this. We're gonna fill this jail. These jail cells. We'll do it all." And I mean, and and here's what's in, why, like I think that this is a good example, and why I think that it's important. And and we talked about it last week where we said, "Hey, the 1776, uh, the United States uh, rebellion is yeah. That's not that's not a Christian." Uh, ideal like you know like that whole idea of this is god's country and and you know the rebellion against taxes is not that's that wasn't for jesus <laughs> you know no. like that's not i mean it wasn't necessarily immoral either but uh, yeah the, right, the, the, right. the narrative that this is somehow like we're creating god's country is is, is a false narrative uh, right so you know and yeah paul was like Paul would have been upset with that one, you know, like, and even then, like, that's something that needs to be said about, again, we've talked about it too, when we talked about, and again, slavery looked a lot different in scripture versus how it looked in uh, the United States, Uh, how slavery had progressed to that point and what it actually looked like versus what it looked like in the Bible. It was still slavery and, um, and indentured servitude and all that kind of stuff. There's there's elements to that and conquered territories and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's, and so, you know, it, there's even the slaves submit to your masters, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, those are those laws and things that are in place um, or those things that were said. And it's like, is this really what I need to do? Is this, but does that make that slavery right? Like, is that what it is? And the answer is no, right? Like, um, no, but on the other side of the coin, there's 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 healthy abolitionism, like those that are helping uh, Harriet Tubman lead the uh, whatever the train Underground, underground uh, Railroad, and then there's John Brown, who thought he was God's he was God's instrument, and leads this bloody rebellion. That it, I'm sorry. You you're, you might have thought that your 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 cause was just, but you're you're not doing anything really to help God's kingdom or Jesus's kingdom by leading to this bloody rebellion, even though you're trying to overthrow slavery. Right, and I think I don't. I think as humans, we we let our our emotions and the the human nature decide our response to things a lot of times it's not about what would jesus do it's about this is an injustice and Mm. so therefore we need to do what is within the typical normal human means of being able to do this that's not what god intends that's not what god wants but that's what we choose to do so that's how we do it um and so that's always hard and difficult to wrestle with especially when people are doing it in what they say is in god's name I mean, right you can look at the old testament as we have for a lot of the violence that occurs in the bible and we can sit there and say that yeah that's you know those are human beings saying that this is for god and this is for his conquest and his 
and we find that through Jesus Christ and his ultimate revelation of who God is, that that's not really what he would have wanted. Um, that's not really how he would have done things. And so we need to be better through that. And again, when we look at these laws and we look at these rules, again, we have to sit there and say that these are, are not right. And it is our job as Christians, in my opinion, to identify that and, and to go against them if that's what it is. Again, we talked about this last week where we as Christians are being asked to be countercultural. And yeah, there's times where the laws are not correct. Segregation is an awesome example of that. 60 years ago, it was completely okay for there to be separate but equal right. uh, facilities uh, based off of race. And that's ridiculous, right? That we, we all sit there now. And I mean, I was never even, I need, were you guys even alive at that point? Like we were never, no. I've never been alive for that. I live in a post segregation time. Like I've never experienced that. That sounds far fetched. That sounds bizarre. Annie and I are peak. I'm just like, I know I'm old, but Plessy versus Ferguson. No, I, I was not. Well, no, but I mean, like, were you born? Around. I was like my, because I was like my dad's sixty-seven, so like he was two years. He out. wasn't even around. I know, I know, but I'm like, I don't, I forget how old you guys are. So I mean, like, don't. <laughs> my dad's fifty-five. Like, I don't know why. Like, <laughs> no. And my dad's young for his age. Jeez, man, you guys are like, I'm twenty-seven. My dad was like, okay, whatever. Anyways. <laughs> I'm just giving you our time. Old farts at the table. <laughs> but it's funny that you say that because we're so far removed from the injustices of, of that time that people want to go back to that. Yeah. Except now they really would be separate but equal. Back then that that was that was the the falsehood that they proclaimed. It was oh it's separate but equal, but the facilities definitely were not equal. Right. Nowadays you could definitely have that, and what's it's a lot of younger people are thinking, oh yeah, we want to have our own self-imposed coach. segregation. Yeah, self-imposed. I mean, we want to have our own facilities. We, we, people like us, and we want to do that. And well, if you could do it. Well, if it's voluntary, then it's different. Is it? I'm, well, apparently, according to according to how culture responds. But then we get right into now. the the nuances of a law. And the ramifications of that law. What does that do to build community? What does that do to to fulfill what America was established for in, in the first place? It's you're basically boxing yourself into not being able to share ideas, not being able to share cultures and things like that because it's self-imposed segregation. Right. Well, and I think so. It's also leading to somebody saying that they're more superior than the other. Well, yeah, exactly. And to, uh, and to what we were saying and what you had said before is that, as a, you know, you said, as a homeless man, I'm thinking I got to be prepared to go to jail. And I mean, this is why letters from Birmingham jail and just I Martin Luther King Jr. was 100 percent completely ready to just go to jail. He's like, this law isn't just. Jail me like I, this is in and I hate to say it, but as Christians, <laughs> We need to have that similar mindset when it comes to 
you know, injustices that are occurring and that kind of stuff. And, and where we talked about it before, where with this situation with the student and we sit there and say, you have to go at your own risk. I would 100% risk me getting sued to ensure the safety of another student. I would, wouldn't you? I have. Exactly. And so that's the whole, like, but you already, right. But you, I, I think at the crux of this is when we talk about, you know, like Christian values and, and that kind of thing, oftentimes it's at odds with what the state of California deems as being uh, backed by legal precedent. We, we we would do that, and I have done that without even thinking, just throwing myself into the fray, and, you know, you grab a kid, pull him out, and hopefully another teacher's there. And we've joked before, no, you got you to gotta walk slow and let them get it out of their system. And I, but... But when it comes down Especially to it, if it's a if, if it's a kid that's a problem child in the, <laughs> in the classroom, you're like, oh, get a few extra. Yeah, there's there. like, uh, wait, oh, okay, 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 now okay, now okay. bring it up. <laughs> um, but you know, you do, you go in there and, and you pull them apart and all that kind of thing, and and a lot of times it's you just assume because you're doing the right thing that you're not going to have to worry about what happens after the fact but in this state the facts are that you do and, and you could be sued and, and all that kind of thing um, and then the state is it's been shown over and over again when you've defended when people have defended themselves with a firearm for example which adds a whole nother level of complexity to it but you can be you can be totally within your rights and then but still sued and and, and whether or not you win, it's still going to cost you a lot. Right. So that's the that's the issue with this state is you could be you could be fulfilling whatever your your own morals and values are and doing the right thing, but still have some kind of a consequence that comes from it. Right. And you have to identify those risks and whether or not they're worth it to you. Exactly. And in the case that we, we started the whole podcast off with, it I don't really think it's fair. But, I mean, that's what social media does, right? It provides us insulated ways of starting fights and, and, com <laughs> and commenting without recourse. The, 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 the story was, a, was an example. I don't know whether or not the, it's fair to, to, to judge the teacher. Let's, the, but taking the worst, let's just assume the worst about everything. The, the teacher's six foot four and is strapping. No, but even dude. then, I still say that the risk is still the same. The risk is still the same. You have to sit there and identify whether or not you are going to. The risk. I was is, like, if anything, the risk would be different. I, the the thing that would make me more is if I knew that that parent would sue me. <laughs> if mm, I was like, right, that's what I would not get. That view uh, harder for but me to intervene at that the point. Same in that same situation, look at the levels of complexity. You could be sued for acting. You could be sued for not acting. Right. You could be sued. For acting, and then, you know, well, why didn't you grab this kid instead of my kid? You know, it, there's so many different layers to that. Um, Let's just putting aside the complexities and to circle it back, not only the example, but also the just the Christian worldview. I think what I was trying to bring out is. I think there's a, a healthy level 
look as as whether it be Christianity or any kind of religion, you re- reduce an outside force that is determining what what morality is, and you're now moving that into the government. There are certainly laws that one side of the political spectrum will say that's not a moral law, and another side will say the same thing. But the more the government becomes the moral arbiter of what is moral and what isn't, then you start hearing from people, you didn't follow X rule, that is immoral. Mm-hmm. Well, it might be unethical. It might be unethical, but it might not be immoral. And it might not be neither unethical or immoral. I'm just breaking a law that a man-made government created because, to your point, there was a nuisance that we all needed to deal with. And I'm not even meaning to... Like, we have a homeless problem here where we live. We have a really bad one for the size town we have. My wife is heavily involved in the homeless movement. And yet, when we would go to city council meetings and hear business owners complain about the homelessness in front of their businesses, I can do, I can think both things at the same time. We have a homeless problem. We need to be find out humanitarian, Christian ways to deal with the homeless and try to find out how we can deal with this homeless issue and yet have empathy for the business owner who's had a homeless guy just shat on his front door and make his business impossible. True story. <laughs> These are two pro- those are problems. No, I mean, when I was But passing a law that says they can't sleep out in the street then does doesn't then solve the problem say, well, if you sleep out in the street, that's what the government said. And we all know that God, that God, that all government is is instilled by God, and so therefore you're violating God's rules, which is the dumb Christian, extreme Christian view. And I, yes, it's very extreme. But there's a lot of people out there who believe that. But there's a lot of people on the other side who aren't religious also that says, well, the government said this, and we all passed the law, and if you don't do it, then you're immoral. So therefore, it is unethical and immoral for me to get involved when a student is having the shit beat out of them because I'm not an expert, I'm not I'm not a police officer, and so there I'm not an expert in trying to break up a fight, and so I'm waiting for the campus cop to show up according and then to Colton's your point, they might not even do anything other than I don't know, whatever. It turns us into moral midgets when we just start becoming rule followers. And I hate the Nazi Germany thing because it's always extreme. But it is perfect example when you start taking out uh, the 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 questions of why are we doing this? What are we doing? The government says to do this. Government says this. well, the government. Then you start leading into extremes like that. Well, the government says this. They can't be wrong. Mm-mm. No, I mean there's got to be a good reason behind that. Or let's let's just take the the Nazis out of it. Let's take what you said earlier, Colton. I'm sure a lot of people, not everyone who was following segregation fully bought into it. But I'm sure there were a lot of conversations. Well, as you know, the government just knows what they're doing. And, you know, these colored folks, they're just whatever. We'll just go along with it. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to even, I I think even a good spot to go from there is if you want to even put it in a religious standpoint. Well, that's the ultimate place I would love to take this because I I think that's where we get stupid about this. We decide to say nasty, ugly things 
about whatever topic we want, uh, homosexuality, LBGT, and even abortion, we think we can just say whatever we want because we're God's arbiters of justice. Yeah, but I mean, well, and so that's my, so my example is, and I, I, I hope that anybody who listens to this understands what an insult it would be to be considered a Pharisee. Because I, I think there's sometimes there's, people don't fully understand how Jesus did not get along with them, right? Like those were... They were public enemy number one. Right. And, and why? Because they were following... And and here's something that you... If we were... Like I had this discussion in my New Testament classes. Why is Jesus upset with these people? Are they not literally following every letter of the law? They're following every... every I'll answer the question. You tell me if I'm wrong according to what your New Testament class was. They're following... They're following every letter of the law, and they're manipulating the law to suit their purposes. Sure. I mean, like, there's a little bit of manipulation, right? You have uh, Jesus goes into the, the temple, and he gets upset, right? There's the the, the the bastardization of what the temple was. And there's and, the divorce you know. laws that are manipulated, manipulated, manipulated. Right. But even then, when they are trying to trap him, right? Those are, They are ultimately asking him about those specific laws, and Jesus is upset, right? They ask him about, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? Like, we don't heal on the Sabbath. Like, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? Like, Jesus is like, you're missing the point, dude. Right. Like, you know, and like, that's like the most insulting thing that like Jesus could say to you is, bro, you are missing the point. And what's sad is every interaction that is recorded of Jesus is everyone misses the point. His followers miss the point, right? Like Jesus says three different times about his death and what it means and that he's going to be back. And every single time they're like, what? Right? You know? <laughs> and even like when Jesus comes back, there's still followers that miss the point. I was like, you want to get the biggest two people that missed the point you got Judas uh, who turns him in because he doesn't believe that he's the son of God. And then you've got Peter, who openly denies him three separate times. Well, I, you know, we love Peter, but I, you could argue Peter still still didn't get the point well after when he's right. arguing with Paul about, no, the Gentiles have to follow the Jewish right. law. Exactly. No, 100%. And, you look at Galatians. And everyone's arguing about it. And James, to his credit, finally steps in and says, okay, we need to have a compromise here. This cannot work. And I think... I am. I imply. I, I. I infer from the text that I think James gets it. He's trying to placate the Peter crowd. It's not to demonize Peter, but I, mean, I think Peter gets it wrong. Paul's the one who's pointing out you're getting this wrong. You are keeping people from following the faith, which is a question we should ask ourselves. Every generation should ask themselves: What thing today? What's what version of circumcision are you? focusing on today which are keeping people today from becoming followers of faith because no 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 you can follow Jesus but you can't do that thing right and why and can't... I don't mean to be I mean I, this sounds like I'm kidding but I'm not in the 50s that was dancing <gasps> how dare you well, neither of you were alive in the 50s. Uh, that's and, what I learned today. And even <laughs> up well past the 50s. I mean, but seriously. No, 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 no. See, can't be a Jesus follower and do that. You can't do the Lombada. Tim's been watching way too much Footloose, dude. <laughs>
What are you talking about? I grew up in the Pentecostal, Pentecostal <laughs> church, so oh, the, the, yeah. of course. And then and was at a Baptist church that still didn't allow it in the, the 2000s. Oh, my gosh. That's actually what a, a, it, every single year, uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel High School does a, a school musical. And they always do a Mennonite joke about the fact that they can't dance. Like, because they have like a musical number where they all got to dance or something. And then there's always one character that there's like, we're going to throw a dance. Are you ready? And he's like, no, I can't. I was raised in that. It pretty much happened. It's so freaking funny every time. It pretty much happened at the Christian Baptist school that I went to. (laughs) It's a great joke. Any any Christian, every, any Christian school should always make that joke. Why are are we not allowed to dance? We're Baptist. Okay. All right. All right. That's good enough for me. Good, good, good reason. But the reason why, do you actually know? Oh, because, yeah. We're just bad at it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, nobody wants to see that, Tim. Yeah. You really wanted to. It was. It's always been a good excuse, right? You, you really just say, "Oh, oh no, with, I'm Baptist." You really wanted to deal with promiscuity in the '50s. You wouldn't allow anybody to buy a car. That would yeah. have actually been. <laughs> Go cruising on a Friday night. Uh, Andy, we haven't heard from you on this yet. Now you're watching Pleasantville, so it wasn't enough to like. Just I was talking about I was talking about fifty specific in <laughs> general, like, the general conversation before. There we go. And then we need to wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, Tim doesn't want to do two and a half hours of editing. No, that's not that. <laughs> we need to talk to you about certain things. I got you. I got you. Go ahead. And then we have a joke to tell too, or a funny story to tell. Okay. The dancing. You got nothing. You got nothing. No, I'm just in general on the whole uh, getting letting rules get in the way of what's what's the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, from our original example, I mean, you have. It's funny because you you think of these this teacher and this aide, and what we don't know about the situation is the staff meeting that they were required to sit through just prior to the incident happening. Who knows what the focus of it was? Uh, you know, was that teacher a prominent, uh, was was that teacher the union rep for that site? Yeah. Uh, and, and having all that information in the back of his mind, like, oh, well, I really don't have to get involved in this situation. Uh, I'm being backed by my union. I don't, I don't really have to do it. Should I do it? Probably, but I don't really want to risk injury. I don't want to risk anything happening to myself. So even though it's a, it's a sad situation, I really don't have to do it. And would that teacher be justified for that course of action? Sure, they would be. And their job would be protected. But was it the right thing to do? Eh, most of us would probably say probably not. But would they be okay in, in most aspects of maintaining their, their uh, employment? I would say probably they would. It would be dishonest for me to say that the teacher's lack of the teacher and the teacher aid not intervening didn't bother me, but it did. It didn't bother me to the extent that it, this would have been a topic of conversation. What bothered me was the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 teachers that jumped in who could have just said nothing. And granted, I could have stayed off Twitter and saved myself a lot of heartache oh, but we 
um, are in such the time of the social justice warrior, and everyone has to show and so how insightful they are. Their response. Situation. What upset me was that that was was the response of where again it wasn't the teacher. You're right. There, the teacher might have. There are all kinds of things where the teacher wouldn't. It was the teachers jumping in saying. Basically, to anyone who would question a teacher not saying, well, we're not allowed to touch students. What does that have to do with the other? The one thing is, yeah, you're not allowed to grab the student by the arm in order to get their attention or slap them because they mouth off to you. That I don't think, even if you take that at face value, in, in, anyway, that that is the response at your tool book, your in your toolbox that you're gonna say, oh well, we're not allowed to touch the students, so we just gotta sit there and let the a student get the shit get kicked out of them. And anybody who questions that, I mean seriously, the, the I don't think it's crazy to infer. It's implied like you're the one who's who's uh, who's the problem, yeah. implying that I should step in. I don't know. Yeah, to your point, you might be a five foot six middle aged woman, and it's an eighteen year old uh, kid who's got a scholarship to a junior college or whatever, or just a big kid. Yeah, I'm not going to step in on that. Absolutely not. He might have been using something that wasn't recorded in the article as a as a weapon, other than his fist to beat the the, the girl up. But <laughs> just. When you again, when you read just response, we're not allowed to touch students. We're not allowed to touch students. There's something morally bankrupt about that being your response. Agreed. And there's something morally bankrupt about the people feeling that they can comment with impunity about what went on when they have no background as to what the situation was to all the points that we mentioned prior to that. But you know, they people are. They offer those suggestions and they offer those comments with no recourse whatsoever. So who cares? All right. Well, the lesson after two hours is don't go on Twitter. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>